Good morning, everybody. So uh, you probably noticed the decorations changed behind us uh, recently. I have a funny story, and I want to share about that. Um, so our candles in the back here. We started off a couple of weeks ago, or three or four weeks ago now, I guess, and we had them randomly placed uh, throughout the boxes. And uh, for some of you, that was just too much. Uh, it set your OCD off, uh, and you couldn't take it with it being that random. And so last week, we changed it, and we left not all of the boxes, but we made it symmetrical on either side. And evidently, there's another group of you OCD folks, because we heard back that it's too symmetrical. So this morning, we have all the boxes filled. So hopefully, this makes everybody happy. You know what they say, when you put three Baptists in a room together, you have at least four different opinions, right? We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Maybe you've been in a conversation with another believer, and whatever the conversation is about, at some point a phrase will be used either by you or the other person uh, that's one of those Christian cliches that we like to uh, toss around. A cliche that makes us feel better, that seems biblical, or at least at one point we thought it was biblical, seems true, seems good, uh, seems like something that would make the conversation better or add value to the conversation. But when you really stop and you look deeper, maybe that cliche isn't nearly as biblical or truthful or value-giving as you thought. Uh, And so you come to the situation giving this cliche, thinking it will help, but maybe in reality it doesn't. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at several of these cliches, you know, like cliches like God helps those who help themselves or everything happens for a reason, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we're going to look at whether these are valid or not, whether they are based in scripture or whether or not they come from uh, somebody else or some figment of our imagination, uh, whether they are, are value-giving, whether they are, are not just come necessarily right out of Scripture, but at least seem biblical. In other words, we're going to talk about whether they are Bible or Babel, which is the name of our series for the next several weeks. Before we actually jump into our first cliche that we're going to look at this morning, which is God helps those who help themselves, First, I want to ask, are there any folks in the room that are big fans of the Marvel movies? Any, okay, there's some of you out there, Captain America, Iron Man, all the Avengers, uh, all of those. I haven't really caught up on on much of them. I'm a fan of them, but I haven't, like, I feel like I'm I'm at the point now where I need to go back and catch up. And so this weekend, we were home, Corbin and and Cannon are a little under the weather, and so I was home with them Friday, uh, and and I decided to watch the very first Captain America movie. And I say first, I mean the one that was made in 2011 in this new, you know, in this new manifestation of the whole series. And so I went back and watched it, and those of you who know it, you know Captain America, his real name is Steve Rogers, and that he has a very unique story, uh, that he starts out as a kid from Brooklyn who is skinny and, and emaciated and short and weak and has asthma. Uh, And and the movie takes place in the 1940s. He wants to be a part of the war effort uh, going on against uh, Hitler and all of the bullies over there in the Axis powers. Uh, And he tries over and over again to enlist in the army and over and over again he gets turned down. And every time it, it, doesn't, it doesn't kill his hope, he just keeps coming back. He, he lies about his name so that he can sign up under different names, but every time he gets turned down. The, the, the enlistment, uh, enlistment person looks at him and says, there's no way that this skinny, scrawny, asthmatic kid could ever be a soldier. 
until one day he happens upon, kind of lucks into an opportunity to meet a scientist who has this wonderful idea, an idea that he will take someone, not necessarily of the, the greatest physical fitness or the greatest mental prowess, and he will take this person and he will turn them into a super soldier. And so Steve Rogers at this scientist's hand goes into this machine that puts this serum within him and ignites this reaction within him, and it creates something within him that didn't exist in the first place, and suddenly he becomes a super soldier. If you've seen the movie, you know that he goes in the machine, again, this skinny, scrawny, asthmatic little kid, and comes out, you know, muscled up and, and a foot at least taller. He's faster. He can jump higher. He can think better. Uh, all of the things that are like peak peak human physical conditioning, that's suddenly where he is. And he goes and becomes that super soldier to the point that he's able to defeat his enemies. He's able to lead people into battle. Uh, it has become wildly entertaining. Captain America has. He's been in several movies uh, in the Marvel Universe. And, and, and while beyond being wildly entertaining, I also see a spiritual metaphor in what happens with Steve Rogers. God forbid me. Every time I watch a movie, I think that would make a good sermon illustration. And so as I was watching the movie, I thought, you know, that's perfect about what I'm going to talk about Sunday. Because what happens to Steve Rogers really didn't have anything to do with Steve Rogers. Now, you can say it's because he's a good person and all of that, but the strength that the serum gives him where he can do all of these things that he never was able to do before, that he, he has these, these muscles and, and even can think more clearly, all of the things that go with being a super soldier, all that that he has was put in him by someone else. It is not because of his own strength. It is not because of his own intelligence. Rather, it is because of something else at work within him. And we, in the same way, come to God with nothing essentially to give, except what Scripture would call filthy rags when we give ourselves or our work to God. But God, seeing a skinny, scrawny sinner, decides to take us and put something within us that turns us into something much different, much better. Paul would call it a new creation. Here is a before and after picture of Steve Rogers, Captain America. Many of you know this, you've seen this. Spiritually, I think this is often how we look like as well. That without Christ, we are nothing. But with Christ, with Christ in us, we are capable of being exactly who he called us to be. When we think about the cliche, God helps those who help themselves, it kind of speaks to this idea of grace directly when we consider whether or not it's Babel or Babel. It was actually an English political theorist named Algernon Sidney that came up with, or at least said this exact phrase for the first time. But many of you who have heard it quoted, you've probably heard it quoted because it was made popular by Ben Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac. It is not from Scripture. And the common use of this phrase, people use it to try to say, essentially, God blesses those who are deserving, or maybe even a, a little better, if you're not willing to work hard for something, if you're not willing to put effort into whatever it is you're chasing, don't expect God to just give that for, to you, to do all of the work for you. And while there is certainly some value in that idea that we have a hand in working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul would say, we have a hand in following God and trying to be obedient, to live according to the law that he's placed within us through the new covenant of Jesus Christ, all of those things are true. This phrase also comes with some negative misconceptions. God helps those who help themselves can often mean to many people, we can earn God's help. We can deserve God's help if we are good enough or do enough good things. 
that we should expect God to bless us, again, if we just do the right things, essentially putting God in our debt, that if we do A, B, and C, then God will certainly bless us as if it is some sort of magical formula. What also gives us the negative misconception that God does not help those who can't or won't help themselves. That if someone is unable or unwilling to help themselves, that God completely writes that person off. And finally, perhaps the worst misconception is that when God helps those who help themselves must mean that if someone is in a dire situation, if someone is in a, a, a bad period in their life, it must be not because they're unlucky, not because they're unfortunate, not because that's just the way things are, but because they are lazy and a lack of effort has led them into the position that they are in. A common thought in the world and in most religious systems is that we can earn the favor of the gods. If you go all the way back to the Greek pantheon and long before that as well, people thought that if they just did the right things, the God would bless them. But if they did the wrong things, the gods would curse them. And to be fair, the authors of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, seem to contend that certain behavior does indeed yield certain results from God. Still, the Bible, when considered as a whole and read all the way through, does not contain the argument that salvation or nirvana or heaven or the abundant life, whatever it is that any person in the world is after, the Bible does not contain the argument that that can be found by those people who seek after it and have exemplary behavior. The, 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 the fortunate, not the fortunate, but the hardworking among us who do all of the right things. As a matter of fact, the God of the Bible has this habit, this habit of choosing people who seem to be wholly and completely unworthy to be used in his masterful story, to advance his plan. The helpless often serve as actors in God's plan. God interrupts the murderous plans of a Christian persecutor to turn him into the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. He elects a traitorous tax collector to become a member of the 12, this group that he would use to introduce salvation and gospel to the world. He uses a pagan prostitute to to help win the battle of Jericho. He originates an entire people group, an entire faith through a 75-year-old wanderer named Abram. And perhaps most suspect of all, he chooses a young teenage unwed pregnant girl with a suspect story to bring his son into the world the god we encounter in scripture and through the person of jesus christ and his holy spirit is not the god of poor richard's almanac who helps those who help themselves that is babel no as we will see in the scripture we're about to read this morning again luke chapter 7 verses 11 through 15 our god is a god who helps those who cannot help themselves. Again, Luke 7, 11 through 15. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. 
Nain, that this city that Jesus was in was a town in Galilee, close to Nazareth, a small town. And when Jesus approaches this with a crowd following him, certainly his disciples, his apostles, he meets a funeral procession at the gates. They're carrying a man out on what the ESV calls a bier, which would be basically a something, a coffin-like thing that they would use to carry the body to the grave. At this time, Jesus' time, people were normally buried the day that they died. So this means that the pain that everyone is going through is still incredibly fresh. The pain for the young man's mother, the pain for the whole community. It also shows when Jesus meets them during a funeral possession that no one doubts the fact that this man was indeed dead. There were a whole group of people carrying him to his eventual resting place. So he had certainly expired at this point. This is not some like he's asleep or he's passed out and Jesus wakes him up. No, this is indeed a miracle. Besides the dead man and his mother, there is a whole group of people mourning. This was a community-wide grief. You can imagine it probably being a loud and chaotic and even a depressing scene. You see, in that part of the world at that time, they mourn much differently than we do today, most of us anyway. We mourn in silence. We keep things and we know uh, the Jew in Jesus' day, they were likely to mourn loudly with weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and rending of their clothing. There were probably people actually wailing. We know this because we see it elsewhere in Scripture as this man's body was being carried to its grave. It was certainly depressing when you might look at the mother. A hopeless situation. A young man is dead, cut down too early. Just as it is in our world today, we certainly mourn when people of great age pass away, but there is something different when a young person passes away. And not only was it just any young person, it was the son, the only son of a widow. You see, we too are dead just like this young man, spiritually speaking. And maybe we too are also like this widow who is now alone in the greatest sense of the word alone. There was incredible pain from losing her son. Ask anyone who's lost a child, there is no pain like it. And not only that, but losing any loved one, there is a pain that comes in that, a freshness. You don't know what to do, don't know what to say. It is a numbing pain. Perhaps she was in this position of being numb. But not only that, she was also in the position where she was losing all hope for a future. Why? Because she was the widow, and this was her only son. In this day and in this world, Women were dependent upon men, not necessarily saying it's the way things should be, but it's the way things were then. And when there was no husband to take care of a wife, the sons would take care of their mother. And now the last person who had power and authority and sway in this world and in this woman's world had just expired. Not only had she lost someone she loved, not only was she all alone, but now she, from a cultural perspective, had no sense, no chance of a good future. There was nothing but hopelessness ahead. Jesus sees the situation and he acts. He acts without any prompting, mind you. No one asked him for help. The woman did not come to him and fall down in front of him on her knees saying, Jesus, please heal my son. No one in the crowd seems to pick out Jesus and say, can you do something about this? Perhaps in this small town, even though it was close to Jesus' hometown, these people might not have even realized who he was. 
He is simply passing through on his way apparently to somewhere else. No one stops him except the spirit of God within him. He simply saw a helpless situation and decided to do something about it to give some help to the helpless. He stops the funeral possession, touches the coffin or whatever it is that this man is in. They stop and he speaks out, calling the man back to life. And then the man begins to speak. And the final phrase in the story that we just read, or the final phrase in verse 15, it says that Jesus gave him back to his mother, undoing all of the hopelessness. You see, our relationship with Jesus starts with his one-way love. It is a unilateral love coming our direction, whether or not we give it back to him. That is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Certainly, he wants us to respond with love and with obedience, which tells us, he tells us, is love. Those who love me will obey me, Jesus says. And certainly, he wants us to respond in that fashion, yet that does not keep him from loving us. There is nothing, like literally nothing. We say this a lot, but perhaps we don't fully appreciate it. There is literally absolutely nothing that could keep the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit from giving us and showing us love. Nothing is capable of stopping that love. It is one directional in that way, that it is coming your direction, whether you want it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you return it or not, the love of God is coming your direction through his Holy Spirit even right now. And that love was so powerful that Jesus had within him that it brought the man back to life. A quick note, he is not resurrected here, he is resuscitated. The difference means that he is not resurrected to live forever like Jesus was, but that he is brought back from the dead and he will again at some point die a natural death just like Lazarus. But he is certainly brought back from the dead. Because Jesus brings life to the lifeless and hope to the hopeless. This is what our God does. He sees a situation in which there is only death and brings life. A situation in when there is only depression and brings joy. A situation in when there is no hope and brings hope. And when Jesus brought life back to the widow's son in Nain, he showed us the true nature and depth of his grace and love. He acted not because the woman had earned his help, not even because she had asked for it, but simply because of his compassion for lost and hurting people compelled him to act. This act of healing was completely dependent upon the will of God through Christ, completely dependent. And this story, while one that actually happened, real events, is also, it also serves as a metaphor for the larger nature of God's love and grace for us. God helps us. He helps our helpless selves, our helpless and unworthy souls by saving them through his son, Jesus. Again, not because we are good, not because we help ourselves, but because as John says, God is love. And that love gives even when it is not asked to give. That love of God completely acts completely independently of our worthiness or unworthiness. And for that, I say amen. And I'm grateful that this love of God exists. And because of this love of God, all of us, all humanity in our helpless, unworthy, depraved, seemingly unlovable state can be forever with him 
can be forgiven, cleansed of our sin, and able to come to the throne of God, ask for forgiveness, receive it, and be given that seal for eternity with him in heaven. Our God, as we see him revealed in Scripture, is not a God, again, who helps those who help themselves. Our God helps those who cannot help themselves. And so let's clear up the misconceptions that we talked about a moment ago, that God helps those who help themselves, lays out in the culture. First misconception, that we can earn God's help, that we somehow deserve God's help. It is clear scripturally that we cannot earn God's help. There is no one righteous. No, not one, Paul says. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says elsewhere. We do not deserve God's help. We cannot earn God's help. Perfection is the only thing capable of earning and deserving the love of God. And that perfection only existed within one man. His name is Jesus, who also happened to be our God and Savior. The second misconception, that we should expect God to bless us if we just do the right things. When we receive a blessing, it is because God blesses us out of his love for us, not because we've somehow placed him in our debt, not because he owes it to us because of our awesome behavior, because of how obediently we behave, because of how many good works we've done for he and his name. Now, with that said, Scripture does seem to argue that obedience to God carries with it an opportunity to be in a position where God is willing and ready to bless you. But that blessing is still and always dependent upon God's will and his grace, not our actions. Even when we live in such a way to place ourselves in a position where God blesses us, it is still up to him to bless us. That's why there are obedient people all over the world with different amounts of money in their bank accounts. That's why there are obedient people all in the world with different seasons in life, some as healthy as a horse, some on their deathbed. They are obedient. God blesses in different ways. That is totally and completely up to him and his will that is so far beyond mine that I dare not even try to understand what is happening. God doesn't, the next misconception, that God doesn't help those who can't or won't help themselves. That is the misconception that is posed by that idea of God helps those who help themselves, that if he helps those who help themselves, then he won't help those who don't want to help themselves or can't help themselves. Again, we've been saying God helps those who can't help themselves. We are all in need. We are all broken. We are all helpless. We are all, spiritually speaking, in a position where we cannot help ourselves. And many times Jesus shows up to people who refuse to help themselves, yet he decides to show them salvation. I alluded to the story of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul a moment ago and his conversion. He was not seeking after God. He was not begging for forgiveness. He was not trying to find truth, at least the truth as it exists in Jesus Christ. No, he was going somewhere to be a part of a group that were going to kill the people who professed faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul was about. He was a terrorist in the first century. And he was going to wreak havoc and try to squash out the Christian faith. And for whatever reason that is beyond our understanding, God decided to meet him right there. Not because Paul sought him out. Not because Paul asked for his favor. But simply because God decided to do it through Jesus Christ. We are all broken and in need of a Savior. God helps those who cannot help themselves. 
And finally, perhaps the most dangerous of the misconceptions that comes with this Bible cliche is that if someone is in a dire situation, it is because of a lack of effort. It is because they are lazy. That is the reason why they are suffering. Scripture contends, and your eyes will tell you this as well, that suffering is a universal because we live in a fallen world. That on this side of the Garden of Eden, in between Eden and heaven, that all of us will suffer in different ways. Sin has wrought havoc of unimaginable scale in our world. From our physical bodies to the physical world to moral evil to organizational evil that exists, it is a fallen world. And suffering will happen in a fallen world. If someone is suffering, it is not because they are not being blessed by God. It is not because they have somehow disappointed God. It is not because they are less worthy than you or I am. If someone is suffering or in bad straits, in a bad season of life, it is not because they are helpless, they refuse to help themselves, or they can't help themselves. I don't understand why bad things happen to good people and why good things happen to bad people, but I know that God has the plan, has the wisdom to understand it and to make it happen. We are blessed because God is good, not because we are. And that means that God's blessing is not dependent upon anyone's goodness. Nor that also means that if anyone is struggling, that struggling, that bad straight in life is not dependent upon anyone's lack of goodness. We make a very serious mistake and trick ourselves in believing something that is absolutely a lie. If we think that if people who aren't doing good, who are sick or who are poor or who are going through some sort of tragedy in their life are there because they are not praying hard enough, because they don't have enough faith, because they are not helping themselves enough. Because if we spin that story, we spin a story to the whole world that lets them know that we think that we somehow can earn God's favor, that we can wrestle God to the ground and demand grace from him. And that if we just do the right things or say the right things or believe the right things, that God will somehow grant us this blessing that goes beyond what anybody else has. And if someone's in the depths, they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They need to go to God. They need to do everything they can do, make sure they're checking off all the right boxes so that God will bless them. God's blessing is not dependent upon your action. It is wholly dependent upon the goodness of Jesus Christ. And any time that we receive a blessing, it is because God is good, not because we are. God is not a God who only helps those who help themselves. Our God helps those who cannot help themselves. And because of all of this, there is no such thing as hopelessness with our God. There is no such thing as helplessness with our God. You are never too far gone. You are never beyond the capacity of God's help, his ability to save, his ability to heal, his ability to make whole. You are never so far gone that God cannot save you and pull you out of the depths. You are never too far gone. And not only are you never too far gone, neither are your neighbors, neither are your family members, your friends, the people sitting beside you in a pew this morning. The people on the opposite aisle of you in life 
who have different worldviews than you do, who support a different political party, live in a different part of the country, a different part of the world, even worship a different God. Salvation is not theirs because it is in the one true God, but they are never so far gone that they are beyond the help and salvation of Jesus Christ. Your enemies aren't even that far gone. So this morning, have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever felt unworthy of God's love? Like you didn't deserve the treatment he gives. The, uh, the treatment in the sense of sending his son for us. Have you ever looked at a picture of Jesus upon the cross or imagined it in your head and thought to yourself, of this I'm simply not worthy? And maybe you felt like you could never do enough to make things right again. Uh, because even if you did get right for a moment, you would eventually just mess it all up all over again and be back in the same place. Have you ever felt that way this morning? Good. Because you aren't worthy. And you can't do it on your own. You can't make yourself right and get back into God's good graces somehow as if it's something that can be done with our action. There is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to earn the forgiveness, blessing, or help of God. Your sin leaves you alone and incapable of changing the eternally hell-bound trajectory of your soul. We are completely incapable. Yours is a hopeless, helpless situation. But, Praise be to the God who sent his son to change that situation. Who sent his son Jesus to help the helpless, to save we who cannot find salvation apart from him, to give us a gift that we did not only not deserve, but that without his prompting we didn't even know that we needed, that we don't even have the capacity to ask for on our own. Without him, we are utterly helpless, but God helps those who cannot help themselves. And so do you need help this morning? Do you need help for the first time today, overcoming the sin in your heart and in your life? Do you need help finding the salvation that only Jesus has to offer? Perhaps this morning, for the first time, you can be cleansed, forgiven of your sin, and sealed for eternity if there is anyone in here who does not know Jesus as Savior. Do you need help this morning? Overcoming the temptation to fall back into the same sin that has been bugging you for what seems like ages that you cannot help yourself from saying yes to. Do you need help forgiving the person whose actions at some point in your life irrevocably changed everything about you, your family, and indeed your entire life? Do you need help restoring a broken relationship or a lost sense of intimacy in your marriage? Do you need help walking through the, 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 the joy and the task of raising your children to be men and women of God? Do you need help walking through an illness that is running rampant in your own body or beside a loved one whose illness has been called terminal by doctors? Do you need help this morning? If so, I have good news and bad news. And I always like to give the bad news first because I like to leave with a good taste in my mouth. 
The bad news, you can't do anything about it. You are utterly helpless. The good news, Jesus has already done everything about it. And all you must do is accept that which is freely given to you. The gift of the Holy Spirit that we know as salvation and the abundant life that will change everything about you. Your only choice this morning is whether you will reject or accept the freely given and totally unearned help of God. The one who helps those who cannot help themselves. During our time of invitation this morning, I invite you to ask for help. Whether it is in finding salvation and forgiveness for the first time, or whether it is dealing with something in your Christian life today, forgiveness, temptation, reconciliation, ask for help. Because God helps those and helps you when you cannot help yourself. The altar will be open if you would like to pray there. I will be here if you would like to pray with me. As always, you can certainly pray where you're at. But again, this morning, take the time and ask for help. Let's stand together during our time of invitation. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray, and you move in whatever way God is calling when I say amen. Father, your love and forgiveness is beyond us, beyond my ability to understand and certainly my ability to explain. God, that you would love us despite our sinfulness and knowing that we could never give back to you what you've given to us. God, for that, we rejoice and we say thank you. God, thank you for helping me, even though I'm helpless on my own, even though I can't help myself. God, I know that the only way that I can face the temptations and the depressions of life is by being empowered to do so through your spirit. God, I pray that you would give us all that gift of your spirit, that gift of the help from the Lord so that we might rely on you and not on our own strength. Help us today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.